Coming up in today's episode, we speak to the founder of Celebrity Packaged Goods, Dhruv. What Dhruv's done with Celebrity Packaged Goods is compile a place where you can learn about all of the brands that are involved with, founded by, or owned by celebrities. There's a huge directory on that website. You can see all of the brands that have some kind of involvement with celebrities. You can see the investors that are backing them. Really, it's an open book on companies that are partnering with celebrities and celebrities that are building their own brands. It's an incredible resource. It's a newsletter. It's a few other things. And in this show, really what we wanted to understand, what I wanted to understand was how and why would you go about partnering with a celebrity? What does a good partnership look like? What does a bad partnership look like? How do you even put one of these things together? Why are celebrities interested in doing these partnerships? And where did this craze all come from? And is it a long-term trend in e-commerce? This show is brought to you by Rewind, the application you should have installed on your Shopify store to give you full peace of mind and protection. Backups, staging sites, all of those sorts of things are included in this app. It really is a must install. And Sendlay, the company that is fighting for your email, SMS and reviews business and for good reason. They have an incredible modern platform that's very cost effective and Jimmy, the founder and his team are really pushing to do everything they can to bring you over to them. And I would endorse that discovery for you. Go and check both of those apps out. Over to you, Drew. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Ecom Gold podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. I was just explaining that I found your website, um, I think through a tweet probably, and I was like, how have I lived <laughs> without this resource in my life? And um, it blew my mind. I spent a long time just trawling through the index. Can you explain to everyone what I'm talking about and uh, yeah. give everyone a bit of a background as to who you are? Yeah, so it's funny. So about a year and a half ago, I was uh, working my first job out of college. I was working at a company called Bite Toothpaste Bits, which I'm sure uh, some of your audience is, is familiar with. Um, uh, we we sold toothpaste tablets, sustainable toothpaste tablets. Uh, but I would say like the first real big insight that I ever had, like my first really big business insight coming out of college was um, working really closely with Lindsay McCormick, who was the founder and CEO. There was no doubt in my mind that Everything that made her a great operator was informed by her spending you know, years in the entertainment industry, her being a former YouTuber. Um, I mean, we would go into these war rooms you know, before product launches, and she would know everything about what needed to be said in the, on the page copy. She knew every photo that we needed to take at the photo shoots. Um, and there's no, no doubt in my mind that like, if you spend two or three years as a content creator and you build up that audience, you have a pretty good understanding of what, what, what resonates with them really well. And so... I, when I was leaving Byte, I wanted to go find or meet more people like Lindsay because I thought they had a really profound understanding that was really different, I think, from a lot of other operators across the industry um, of how to run a business. But it turns out there was no directory of here's every YouTuber that's ever started a brand. So I built that. Um, about a year and a half ago, the first version of celebritypackagegoods.com came out. Um, it was just an archive of anything I could find off the internet and anything that people would be willing to share with me or point me in the right direction for. Um, YouTuber brands, uh, celebrity brands, movie stars, actors, actresses, musicians, you name it. If I could find it, it was going to go in the directory. And then you know, fast forward about six months later, we were getting uh, reached out to by talent management agencies who were looking to better market map kind of the prospects of you know, talented brands worth being reached out to, investors. Um, you think about 2020 as a time where, 2021 as a time where 
um, every celebrity was launching a brand. And, and there's a reason for that, but we can dive into that later. But um, investors wanted to make sense of kind of what was coming out into the market. Talent management agencies did. Brands without a celebrity were trying to ask the question of, should I work with one? And very quickly, our directory sort of parallel paths some really important, uh, really important time for a lot of brands during the pandemic. And so kind of took on this bigger operation of, you know, building out a media business where I had a direct line of sight into a lot of these talent, you know, talent-led brand operators. And so we started doing interviews and started mapping out, you know, how do they think about problem solving? What does their celebrity enable them to do? Um, and so that's where we are largely today. So today the directory is a directory of brands started by celebrities, endorsed by celebrities, um, investments made by celebrities. And then we also have a newsletter for with a couple thousand subscribers across investors, talent management agencies, and brands. And so uh, we're really just a market map for all things celebrity brands. Yeah, awesome. So awesome. Do you, I mean, it's it's kind of like a superpower, isn't it? It's a bit of an unfair advantage for a celebrity because they come with a built-in audience. And everyone's conception going, I mean, can you just, is it still challenging, right? Because I think a lot of people just think, you're Ryan Gosling or you're, you know, Lewis Hamilton and you want to launch a brand. You just, you cannot fail because you have this massive audience around you. So it's really difficult for you to fail. But is that true or is that just like a myth? So it, it's interesting, right? Like anytime, if there's a rule that you have in place like that or a generalization you make, the, the, the challenge worth digging into is like, are there any examples that, would disprove this rule to be true. And therefore I should not hold that hold that notion in my head. And it turns out if you make the assessment that celebrities are an unfair advantage, you can probably find more examples of where that is not true than for examples of where it is true. And examples wow. that yet to have been disproven, they're all playing out in real time. So perhaps we don't even have enough data to definitively say if that rule is accurate or not. Um, and I mean, we see this play out every single time that it's launching with a celebrity, I'll say this, and I know this to be true. Launching with a celebrity is a double-edged sword, no matter who you ask. Um, with so much of that publicity and not being able to control the narrative in that publicity, that's a very dangerous thing. So for a lot of brands who want these viral moments, a lot of times you can control or shape what moment that you're trying to recreate virality in. When you have another person that's the face of the brand, you don't really get to you don't really get to have much as much uh, levers or sliders over that. Um, if they're dating somebody publicly that maybe has a terrible history, that's also terrible for the brand. And so um, you know, it's hard to say that a celebrity is necessarily a disadvantage. I think there are examples of brands that have gotten it right that we're trying to re reverse engineer the playbook for, but it, it's hard to just pinpoint, yes, this is great. No, it's not. Um, cause I think so much of that story is being told again in real time. Is there, is there like a shift now? I don't even know if it is a shift, but from my perception, it used to be brands partnering strategically with celebrities and maybe just pausing there. What would be a reason? For a brand to be like, you can imagine a brand being like, right, we're going to launch this project, sitting in a room around a table and being like, oh, we should partner with a celebrity because what would be those becauses traditionally? So it's interesting, right? So I think people forget that there's more than, more than just one type of way to partner with a celebrity. And that's so important. Um, you have cash as kind of a popular mechanism. You have equity, you have royalties. And how you how you kind of make that up, uh, how you make up that incentive structure, like in a financial sense, also kind of sets the stage for how the celebrity is going to be involved. And so typically when brands are looking to work with a celebrity, they're probably asking the wrong question. The first question you ask isn't what celebrity I should partner with or, um, you know, should I should I go partner with a celebrity? The question you should be asking is what business outcome am I trying to achieve? 
um, a lot of businesses. So I'll give you I'll give you an example, and I'll give you an example on the other side. So when you're a celebrity brand launching from day one, you have tons of press, you have tons of tons of hype around it, and that's kind of the operating mindset you kind of go into with. You typically have operators from some of the conglomerates that you know step in or get poached into taking on the operational roles. They're really good at operating things at scale or with a lot of visibility. When you're a brand that's starting off day one, you don't really understand, you know, what your market is, or you kind of have to test, iterate. It's not necessarily the best time to, you know, maybe perhaps go out and uh, launch with a celebrity kind of in mind. Um, but if I were to say, like, what are the reasons that people do tend to work with celebrities in an endorsement capacity or, um, you know, some sort of like co-founder status? Uh, typically, what there's there's I would say there's a multitude of ways, a laundry list of ways. But I think some of the more popular ones um, that I've seen, and I'll give you examples, it's maybe you're launching a category that requires just a ton more education. Um, think about Katy Perry or Bella Hadid's role at their respective companies. Katy Perry with Dissois, non-alcoholic, Appetit, uh, Bella Hadid with Kenyaphorics, also a, a non-alcoholic beverage. The, the non-alcoholic movement largely, I think, has been artificially constrained by people's lack of understanding on where to drink the product. You know, how, do, how am I going to feel about it? Am I going to get high? And when you have a celebrity that is the face of a business like that, you can get a lot of awareness and communicate a lot through them. Um, I think literally two days ago, uh, Deswa literally launched an entire campaign around the question with Katy Perry of, what is this? <laughs> they had one question they had to answer, which is, what is this? No other brand's going to have to go through that. But when you're at the very get-go of like, okay, we're going to launch in the non-alcoholic space, you should probably be thinking about, you know, how am I going to get education out there in a way that people are going to want to stop scrolling and actually listen? So that's one example. Um, and, and there's, you know, tons of other examples kind of that coincide with that. But I think the second one that's really popular that I really enjoy is what story does your brand, uh, what story could your brand actively be telling that it just cannot do with its current resources? Um, a great example of this, I think, is Sarah Hyland's brand, uh, Source. Um, Jen Moore and Andrew Remingler, oper amazing operating founders. They had launched the business, I think, I want to say in 2021. Um, but so much of the product, the, the mission of the business is to try to um, highlight this idea that beauty can come from within. What you put into your body has just as much to do with you know, how your skin looks as your skincare routine. That's a really hard concept to grasp for a lot of people. So, you know, you maybe you go down the, you know, the messaging path of it's delicious or here are the benefits of it. That's not really the full story of what you're trying to do. If you want to end up on the Sephora shelves like they ended up doing, you probably need somebody that can help activate or tell a side of that story that people can just relate to. Um, I encourage everyone to sort of like dig into and do the research behind this. But Sarah Hyland has an absolutely beautiful story with some of the health issues that she had grown up with and um, some of the instances that happened kind of around there. It was just a match made in heaven. But now the brand can afford to tell a story that really resonates with their customers beyond just product functionality. So I'll say those are the two of the more interesting ones. But I mean, again, there's like hundreds and hundreds of reasons why to do it, but probably thousands of why not to. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you're really, really good at delivering very concise and uh, on the mark points around this. Where does that come from for you? Have you had like media training in a previous role or... You know, were you, were you studying acting or, you know, what, 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 what does it just come through passion? No, I studied finance, but I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about a topic for eight hours a day for a year and a half, <laughs> you tend to form some strong opinions on it. Um, it's just, honestly like it's, it's, it's both a, a blessing and a curse. Um, I think the more operators that I meet, I kind of know I have to go in with a mindset of I probably, I know for a fact, I don't know as much as they do about operating their businesses. Um, even if I once formed an opinion just from reading an article online, you kind of have to redact on that and kind of go with an open-minded approach. But um, no, I, my background comes in from finance. I don't, <laughs> I appreciate, I'll take the compliment. Uh, but no. uh, it's just, it's a matter of being so deep in the, the trenches of the space, talking to the right people for over a year now. 
yeah you can tell you can tell that you've <laughs> yeah you've either you've either rehearsed like 10 common questions really really well or you just know everything about this space and i've probably <laughs> over the latter um so like we've spoken about brands partnering with celebrities and um the reasons they might want to do that what are the reasons a celebrity might feel inclined to partner with a brand i'll give you a really fun um fun example that i've been thinking about um i think that I'll give you two examples. So I was, I felt like, and I know this is not true, but I'm, I'm being facetious here. I felt like I was the only person asking the question of why did every celebrity brand get launched in 2021 and 2022? Like, did you think that was weird at all? Like how it was, was a perfect lot. Time? It was a lot. Yeah. So there's actually a reason behind it. And it has right. to do with how people get paid. Um, so you think about a lot of the managers that are operating or working with these celebrities really closely, typically some structure of how it works is, and I'm being very general here. It always, always varies, but they typically make a percentage of whatever the celebrity's revenue is. So I'm incentivized to make sure you have the best opportunities, the best, you get the best scripts on your, on your desk, um, for movie opportunities. My, if you can, if I can maximize your potential earnings, I can maximize my own. Well, in 2020, nobody was going to work. Uh, Hollywood was shut down practically. Oh. And so you had this boom and this e-commerce wave that took place and every manager had this genius idea of, hey, we should launch every, every, I think a little aggressive, but a lot of managers had this idea of, hey, maybe we should launch a brand in your name, name, image, and likeness. So when you have incentive structures between the celebrity and the teams that are aligned, you typically have opportunities that are saying, okay, maybe we should explore XYZ opportunity. When it comes to brand specifically, I think there's some things that get make make the partnership seem more right um, than others, which tends ends up working well for both parties. Number one is I just mentioned it. You need to have incentives aligned. Financial incentives have to be in place where you know some celebrities might be uh, inclined to be more participant over equity compensation if they really believe in the brand. Um, some celebrities might be more interested in like, look, I have tons of other things going on in my life because uh, they're really busy people. I'll do two posts for X Y Z amount of dollars, and so incentive compensation is first and foremost. Where you really see the long-term partnerships take place is you have a very clear outline from the brand side in terms of what we need, why we think it's going to help us get to whatever stage we're trying to get to, and that why that celebrity is the only right fit. That's typically the convincing point for the celebrity to even take a meeting, actively entertain the conversation. But I think beyond that, it has to make sense for their audience. Celebrities and their teams, I think, sometimes get discredited for it. Maybe they don't really actually know what's going on with their audience. No, let me tell you, those people that are surrounding, the, you know, the talent management agencies, the, the managers for the celebrities themselves are some of the smartest people around what their audience, what the celebrity's audience wants, needs, is actively participating in, engaged in, not engaged in, stays away from everything. Um, mm. When you have a perfect fit where a brand can come in and tell the story because they don't have access to that data, but they happen to tell a story that really a light bulb gets set off in everyone's head where it says, wait a minute, that might be a perfect overlap with that audience. And this is why that celebrity cannot, you know, go launch a brand themselves in that same category. Or um, there's something about the way this operating team is defining the vision for where, you know, they want to take things. When you have the, the the alignment of those variables coming together, you typically have a really, really strong partnership where everybody represents a celebrity sitting up in their chair. Yeah. Yeah. Few few questions popping in my head there. First one is, why, why does it all, I mean, well, actually, I should ask you from your experience, it feels like to me that majority of the time it's a brand approaching a celebrity. Does it happen where a celebrity says has strong, a strong will to create something themselves and goes and finds operators to help? It just feels very one sided. It feels always like the brand is going to the celebrity. Is that yeah. true? 
I think that maybe that there's a little bit of an over-indexing or over-coverage on that. But, you know, I'd, I would say this. I think that is true, generally speaking, um, just because I think the volume of celebrities that can really help move the needle for a brand is so much smaller than the number of brands that can actually benefit the celebrity's audience. Yeah, I, I would say that's, that. I would say that's generally true. But I think there's examples of where that's not the case. Some of the biggest celebrity brands we know were not actually launched with the brand in mind first. Um, I was talking to uh, Bob Minuzi over at Umana Studios, who which you might recognize as a studio that ended up launching Noah Schnapp's brand, TBH. Uh, Noah was maybe, I'm going to get this wrong, but double check that. He was 14 or 15 at the time. I mean, he was just, he was just a young kid. He came to Ba and said, Ba, I want to start a business kind of in my name, image, and likeness. This is after the momentum of all things Stranger Things. And so for 16 months, him and Ba and her team were trying to figure out what brand makes sense for Noah. Well, it turns out that, I mean, he's been a health conscious eater forever. He's part of this Gen Z cohort of people where sustainability is super, super important to any purchasing decisions he makes. And then they did a little bit of market research or a lot of market research. And they realized that nobody was really challenging the Nutellas of the world. Nobody was really building a nostalgic snacking company. And they built that name, his name, image and likeness. But that was an example where they started with the celebrity in mind. I also say this, a lot of people think that they make the generalization. And as you can tell from this, I just, I hate generalizations. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they like to say that starting with a celebrity in mind never works. It's like, well, here's a counter example to that where TBH is doing fairly well. Elena Guberman is a longtime industry operator. I mean, they're building a phenomenal team around there. It seems like every single day they're adding two or three new retailers. But that's an example where the celebrity came first. And there was an idea crafted around his audience. Uh, People forget Chamberlain Coffee is another example of that. Uh, Chamberlain Coffee came out of the incubation chambers of UTA Ventures. Uh, They knew that there was something really interesting for Emma and the cult-like following that she had built. I mean, they couldn't figure out what it was immediately, but very quickly. I mean, it was very obvious that coffee was staring them right in the eyes. Chamberlain Coffee came out of UTA and they built the perfect, getting about a brand like Emma Chamberlain. It's all about activating, you know, this, this coffee product as in many places as possible. So what do you do? You will go poach, you know, two former executives at Red Bull, one of the best companies that's ever been for activation marketing. And you put them in the driver's seat and say, okay, let this thing rip. And what you get as a result, a year later, where in like almost every Walmart in the country, every retailer is knocking on their door, um, you have a phenomenal DTC business. And so it doesn't always have to be brand first. Um, hmm. I think I kind of rambled there. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, please do ramble. It's all incredibly interesting stuff <laughs> and helping me answer in my head like questions that I ask quite a lot and just want to understand really, because I also want to know, I mean, I've had a very limited exposure to this world. We once in a previous um, company... Uh, we had employed uh, a few talent managers. Actually, we had Jamie Oliver's ex, kind of one of his talent managers, and we had it. And the reason why I brought them in was because it was a time in e-commerce, talking six, seven years ago, six, five, six years ago, where we we thought we'd spotted this trend. Like we thought we were like so smart. <laughs> Everyone else had as well, obviously, a bit like the talent managers in COVID who thought e-commerce was a good idea. And we thought, right, we'll bring in talent managers and we'll go after all of these YouTubers. So Zoella, um, who's a big YouTuber in the US and, um, in the UK. And she, and she was in the same city as us. So we were like, cool, let's go after that. Um, our idea was that we'd sort of try and partner with these influencers, primarily YouTube at the time and spin out these e-commerce brands for them at that time. And what we found was by and large, they're assigned to, large talent agencies and very quickly we realized there was kind of two camps there was the talent agent or agency and then there was their like inner circle and their personal manager i guess you would call them um 
And those were the people that really had the conversational power to move the needle. So in that particular example, not with Zoella, but with someone else similar, we got quite far down the line pitching the talent agency, which was a big London talent agency. And they, it seemed like they were just making all the calls on behalf of the celebrity. And then when we got to the final kind of bit, we then started speaking to the celebrity's manager. Not once did we speak to the celebrity themselves. And I was like, man, like how, how disconnected is it? Like obviously they have other things that they're doing. They are busy people. It's maybe not their primary concern, but at what point generally do you think they get involved or they just have like a, do people just know them so well that they can make decisions on their behalf? There is like a briefing doc. They're like, I'll do these things, not these things. It feels, it felt like to me. Like that person had just gone, make my decisions for me in all of these areas and I'll do this thing. And then I trust yeah. you. Like, is that how it works? So, I mean, every, every agency will operate a little bit, a little bit differently, right? Depending on how big the agency is, but let's take some of the bigger examples. Like, and maybe I won't say any names specifically, but um, I can tell you that I can tell you one thing that I think a lot of people forget when you sit down in front of a talent management agency, they don't represent you. Uh, they only represent the celebrity. And so a lot of people will go in, you know, unarmed thinking that, you know, we're going to get a great deal because we're going to get a great deal and everyone's a nice person. They are nice people. They're all nice people. I've had the pleasure of speaking with some of the most outstanding deal makers across talent management agencies, but they do have a responsibility to represent the celebrity's best interest. And so if you're on a pile of 20 different brands that, you know, that, that day that happened to uh, want that same celebrity's attention, they're going to need to sift through what the best opportunity for that celebrity is. You might be the nicest person in that room. You might be the most good looking. That's they, none of that is a, a factor to them. Um, they need to bring only the best opportunities to to the celebrity. When they when they're doing these competitive pitches of like acquiring some of the some of the most you know luxurious high you know, the most interesting upcoming talent, they're all pitching them that hey, we can present you the best opportunities in a way that nobody else can. They have a responsibility to uphold that, um, and so that's really important. So. In the midst of going through a lot of these, a lot of these deals and having to go through so many ringers or hurdles, that's sort of why it's happening. It's because there's other opportunities that are coming about, or it's going to be prioritized. Hey, celebrity has a tour that they just scheduled 20 minutes ago into Las Vegas. Like, okay, well now we're not going to talk to them forever. Um, there's a ton of reasons why that happens, but it, it's important to realize that going into a lot of these calls, unless you have a background in deal making or you know somebody that does, you're not going to have any representation or somebody that's going to tell you if something's BS or not. That's such an important point that I think so many people forget about. Um, they just hope that kind of you'll throw, you throw your name in the pile at a talent management agency and then they'll figure it out and they'll take care of you on the rest. That's not how that works. Um, but as far as like the other thing I would say is I think it's a really important point that you sort of hinted at. Um, I've had the pleasure of investing in a couple of talent-led businesses as well. Um, one of the key parameters that I look for is how close to the brand is the celebrity? Like, do I have to go through, like, can you imagine... For example, if you had to go through that process to get to the celebrity just to pitch them, can you imagine having to go through that process again if they're already involved in the business for photo shoots or re-engagement oh, on social? Yeah. It would be a nightmare. It would be an absolute nightmare. Mm -hmm. And so one of the key parameters that I think when people are outlining deals that I always encourage them to look at is, what does your contact or that relationship with the celebrity look like? If you cannot call them, it's not a business that's actually gonna, that, that should not be prioritized um, in terms of the celebrity face. Um, I have seen one or two examples where people have actually made the effort to make the celebrity the face of the business, but they just can't get in touch with them. And so you might be able to say, yeah, this celebrity is the face of the business now, but then we never hear from the celebrity again. That's not a great PR stunt. 
Um, that's actually a very expensive PR stunt. Um, yeah. And there's so many of these like rabbit holes. I think these sinkholes that people need to realize that they can fall through. Um, I would encourage you to like, I would encourage brands to like reach out to folks who have experience getting either one or two deals across the line in their lifetimes um, to ask questions and figure out how to structure deals and how to get the celebrity involved. Um, I'll say this last thing. And I, again, hate generalizations, but I do believe this to some capacity. In most instances, the most engaged your celebrity partner will ever be if they didn't start the company is the moment that the ink dries on the contract and it's all downhill from there. I always encourage brands that whenever you do get a, a, a deal signed, get as much collateral or as photo shoots, everything done up front, and then slowly like spread it out over time how you're distributing it. But the most engaged they'll ever be is the moment you fire them up and then the ink dries on the contract. Then it's downhill. Um, yeah. Of, of course, making a generalization, but. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe that. It makes so much sense because there's, yeah so many other opportunities constantly being presented to them to you it's everything to them it's a day um that that's a really good insight what about um so you said you made an interesting point there if it's a brand they didn't start themselves is there any cases where it goes bad like and what i would like say kim kardashian or you know some really top level celebrity endorses or gets on board with a brand like contractually that must be a huge undertaking what happens if it's like this isn't working out and they need to part ways is it just a simple legal process or like have you ever had exposure to that have you ever seen that unfold like a messy kind of uh brand celeb breakup i have unfortunately heard a ton of nightmares about this um you got one of two options. You better go back to the contract and pray that everything that should have been in there uh, was in there, or you better have a great lawyer. Um, and you know, typically there are clauses already that come standard with the, the talent management agencies end up drafting a lot of the, the agreements um, that you end up signing. There's usually clauses that are like out clauses um, that typically help, but they obviously are there for the celebrity and like protection for them in case the brand does anything stupid. But um, there are typically out clauses that clauses that you get. Um, how you handle anything in terms of like, hey, we already paid this lobby up front. That's on a case by case basis. Um, I haven't actually seen one of these contracts. Like, I haven't read it all the way through, but um, there are typically outs that you get because I, I think at some point somebody realized that because there's so many more celebrity deals that go haywire, we should probably have out clauses for everybody involved just to make the process a lot easier. Um, but there's the, the worst thing that can happen is a celebrity destroys your brand reputation, and then now you got to get out of it. The best thing that happens is they just don't do what they're obligated to do. And this is like all like awful nightmare scenarios. The best nightmare scenario is they don't do what they're obligated to do. And you got to basically find a way to redact or basically say, look, it's in the contract. We got to make something, some, some form of compensation exchange here, whether it's you fulfill your responsibilities or we, we work out some other scenarios. So um, there are, there are things in the contract and the language that helps protect both sides. Hey, me checking in. Hope you are enjoying the episode so far. It's brought to you by Sendlane. We've already spoken about why you should be considering moving to Sendlane if you're doing email, SMS or reviews. Reviews are free with Sendlane, just so you know. Um, but they have a commerce roundtable in San Diego on the 18th and 19th of September. So please do go and register if you're in the area or if you can make the trip. I'm sure they'd be delighted to see you. There's going to be some incredible talent there, great guests and uh, great talks. So do check it out. Mm, so yeah, primarily, primarily contractual, it sounds like. I can imagine yeah. the um, Kanye West Adidas one was a particularly, and probably still ongoing, I can only imagine. Um, but I think that comes back to, um, from what I see in the brands that I pay close attention to that are 
hooked up with, I guess you would call them micro celebrities. They're celebrities in their niche to a huge degree. And to that niche, they are huge. But anyone outside that niche hasn't got a clue who they are. So I find that interesting. In fact, I'll ask a question on that. Do you think or do you see brands going after one headline celebrity because they have broad appeal and a large audience? Or is it more tactical now and brands are kind of choosing to go, okay, we're in the beauty niche. This is a beauty influencer on YouTube or wherever it might be. Let's go one, two, three or four of these influencers over a Kim K, for example. Is there a trend? Is there any kind of data that supports one way or the other? It's interesting because I think you're asking the same version of a question that I get a lot, which is what celebrity should I work with? Um, I learned this from my friend Maggie Sellers, who has done countless celebrity deals and helped bring together some of the most notable uh, notable people to, I think, really really exciting brands. The thing she taught me one time is, you know, I was, I was we were riffing back and forth, and I was asking her about uh, a brand that we're both uh, really clo- really familiar with. They're like, you know, what celebrity would this brand work with if they could? And and probably the biggest biggest thing I've learned to this day is nobody nobody who's serious about this space will give you a direct answer. And that's because that's not how the process of finding a celebrity actually works. Um, so if, for example, let's say you decided tomorrow that, hey, I want to work with a celebrity. Great. That's probably not how to think about it. But let's say you know for sure you want to work with a celebrity. Um, the, the metaphor that kind of comes with this is in that same scenario, let's say, for example, you're coming out of the college basketball league and you were going to you declare it for the NBA draft. Would you make a list of all the teams that you want to play for? No. Because there's already a plot process in place. The team select you. And so when I heard that sort of analogy put together with how the process works, there is no, there is no definitive answer. There is no ideal dreams like celebrity that should take place. There's so much research that goes behind what is it that we're trying to achieve for how long period of time? What's the budget right. that we have? Even after you bring the celebrity on board, for example, let's say it's, let's say it is a Kim Kardashian. It's not enough just to pay her, but you probably want to reuse a lot of that, those assets into like advertisements, out of home campaigns. There's a budget on top of a budget that you have to put. And so realistically mapping out what is the like outcome I'm trying to achieve? Hey, I'm trying to drive in-store retail velocity in this region or to this to this demographic. Working backwards from there will tell you a lot more if should I just work with a hundred influencers or should I work with one celebrity? It's so hard to say brands should be doing this or brands should be doing that, um, where everything is so contextual. Um, and I think it's it's less of a sexy answer, but I think. So I, I know that to be the truth of how some of the most, most successful deals get put together. We tell the brands to stop, think about what they're actually trying to achieve, and then we work backwards to figure out what makes sense. Because it might be somewhere in between where we don't need 100 influencers. We don't need one celebrity. We might need uh, maybe you know one, one celebrity endorser, one celebrity to come in as an investor. And there's different ways to sort of make all that kind of happen. But it depends on what you're trying to achieve. And I haven't seen any of the data around what's happening a lot more. I would imagine endorsement deals are still popular, driven by a lot of the large conglomerates, but um, it's hard to tell for sure what a brand should or shouldn't be doing. Mm, it's it's interesting to think about it like a celebrity partnership or I want a celebrity as part of my brand because I wonder how much a part of the brand they actually are. Like in the celebrities' minds, are they like, like for a brand owner, right? Spinning up a brand, you're like, I'm going to work with this celebrity or I have an opportunity to work with this celebrity. It's hard not to think that that celebrity is like going to join your team. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's hard not to think that every day in the office, you know, you can think, hey, we've got X celebrity on our team pushing for us, thinking about us. In reality, depending on how big that celebrity is, they're, they're probably not. 
you know, they're probably like, okay, cool. You know, I like that brand and yeah, I'm kind of happy to do these, but really it's, it's just a way of paying them to do an endorsement. I think some brands maybe wrap it up into more than that in their heads and they're like, yeah, we're going into business with X and, and this is a joint partnership, but this is going to be like a 10 year business that we're going to make together. And the celebrities probably just like, yeah, I'm going to do a couple of photo shoots with them. Cool. Yeah. The product's cool. Right. Next. Is, is that an accurate representation? Yeah. There's a, everybody wants the Kardashian family uh, characteristics, but there's only one Kardashian family. Nobody, nobody's going to outwork any of the Kardashian families. Any recollection I've heard of people saying that they've been in the same room as the Kardashians or, or work closely with a brand that worked with them. Nobody has ever said that they don't work. They will outwork anybody in the room. And you kind of forget that. Like they are celebrities, but they roll up their sleeves. They're pitching ideas. They're thinking through every small facet of the brand that they're building. Um, there's one example that I'll give you that I think is really exciting. And there's tons more examples. If I, if I thought about a little bit more, I could give you, but, uh, Think about Joe Jonas and his brand Oza. Um, Joe is going into retail stores, uh, activating himself. Nobody's asking him to do that stuff. He's doing it because he right. loves the business. He loves working with those folks. That's a special relationship where you don't even have to tell the celebrity what to do. They understand the brand. They understand what it means to their audience. They understand where they need to be to actually drive, move the needle for there. The type of uh, competition structure, incentive structure you would need in place for there. I mean, you could look at that one of two ways. You can either design the perfect incentive structure or you could never design the perfect incentive structure. Um, recreating those behaviors is so hard. And I think getting so much of that right in the in the, the, the first half of the relationship or the beginning of the relationship, that's where you have to do it. And I mean, the moment the ink dries and the is less, less engaged, but there's always going to be counterexamples to that. Um, I think everyone's trying to recreate what the Kardashian family has built. And that's just not how it works. A lot of mm. these, uh, you know, A-list celebrities, they have tons of things going on in their lives where your business is such a small facet of that. Um, unless you are crystal clear what, what the expectations are or you continuously find a mechanism to keep them fired up, you're not going to get that. Um, and so being able to spin that in, in the in the mainstream to the best of your like best of your ability, that's honestly what a lot of these brands have to resource to. And so it's unfortunate, it's sad, but that's the truth of it. I suppose that's where uh, giving an equity stake matters, but also the size of your brand and who's backing it and how much is there like fundamentally ultimately comes back to money doesn't it i think everything kind of pretty much does apart from if you can find something that a celebrity really cares about but the likelihood of finding a top celebrity hitting something they really care about at the right time that they really care about it and want to actively do something over a long period is quite low um okay cool that is super interesting and then we are still seeing quite a lot of, I think we're seeing quite a lot of celebrity brands. I see, um, Pharrell's brand, Human Race, a lot, or I did. That was huge. The marketing budget behind that must have been crazy. I saw that everywhere. And that's in the UK as well. And I don't know that that brand would have existed without him. I don't know how well it's doing. Um, and then with Seth Rogen's brand at the moment is just currently all over my social media feeds with his ashtrays and, and things like that. And those feel very, very, lined with those people um i don't know if they created the brands or the brands created them the final question i have before we jump into a kind of just a run through of what i thought would be quite fun is just i looked at your index of celebrity brands didn't realize how many of these brands were either tied to a celebrity or just how many there were so i just wanted to just go through if you pick out some and just talk through them um <clears throat> but my kind of final thought in this is like where do you see it going we had that boom and that bubble 2020 2021 
Um, I imagine there's been some car crashes since then. I imagine some have done really well. But like, what do you see like the industry doing in general? Because there are a certain amount of services, right? There are some refreshed, but just give us some thoughts about the next five years, if you can. You know, to be honest with you, I'm still figuring that out in real time. So I'll, I'll share with you something else I think might be more interesting, which are some variables that I'm taking a look at. Um, maybe one in particular that will probably resonate with with, with kind of the, the listenership here. Um, oh, by the way, I should also clarify, celebrity brands die silent deaths. Um, nobody makes a big deal out of them. A lot of the businesses that um, we should probably update this at some point in the directory um, don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So nobody, nobody makes a big deal out of it. They only make a big deal out of it when they... Um, kind of like first emerge, but then they just kind of go away. Um, but I think about uh, all the challenges that a lot of my little close friends in G2C have faced um, scaling a business purely online and the role that, um, you know, the role that the same dollar of advertising spend is not returning the same dollar of revenue back anymore. That has played on this sort of t- like a platonic shift that has taken place for Hey, maybe we should go on retail shelves where all the demands already sort of created for us. And it's our job to push, you know, our our space on the shelf um, in our favor. I think about the role that a celebrity pray, plays in all of that. And so when I think about where do we go from here, I think about getting a lot more. I think I imagine that we're going to see a lot more of a uh, lot more of the a lot more technology enabled um, driving a lot more of technology-enabled uh, solutions that help drive and connect a lot of uh, data points from the online to the offline, or from the offline, offline to the online. Um, and I think I can't help but imagine that a celebrity will play just such a massive role in that. You think about these pre-existing communities, these pre-existing cult-like followings that already sort of take shape, um, that already exist in their natural form without a brand. And if you can somehow get a celebrity to move velocity off retail shelves, the role that they play in the e-commerce ecosystem just expands 10x. There was an example, um, I forget who shared this with me, but at GoPuff back in the days, um, there was a show that Selena Gomez was on. They launched a, uh, they did a short partnership with her uh, to launch ice cream, an ice cream flavor in her name. And she had posted out randomly. Again, nobody asked her to post this. She posted on her story, hey, if you go buy this, I might reshare it or follow you back or something in that capacity. They sold out in 15 minutes. The, the product hmm. launched that day. The show premiered at night. She posted on Instagram, 15 minutes, all gone. Every last wow. bit of inventory cleared out. And so like, there's moments like that where it's, I know that behavior was one off, but what about the framework or the thinking behind why that took place? Could we potentially apply with a celebrity that we might be able to work with? And celebrity, Selena Gomez didn't start that ice cream brand. She just partnered with them. Do we need a celebrity co-founder to recreate a behavior like that? And it's not so much the virality of it, but can I find a consistent mechanism to move retail velocity working with a talent partner? Do I need a talent partner to show up to at least one or two store locations a year just to create a little bit of a buzz? Is there Are there things that I'm able to do with a celebrity partner that I couldn't before? I think everyone's asking themselves this question in real time. And I'm keeping a close eye on it with a lot of the talent, uh, talent-led brand founders that I, I have a, I, I've become really good friends with. Tell you the truth, nobody has it figured out and we're all figuring it out in real time. But I think that's the one variable worth studying is like, where does a celebrity get involved from just a profile on Instagram into the real world and come out, activate, fran- uh, activate you know, fans um, and actively like push and champion the brand that they represent? That's where I think we go from here. Because um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen, you know, 2021, 2020, like most of these brands were launched as I need to make money ideas. And then now I think the, you know, the tide is clearing. We're seeing who's actually a legitimate business. This is where I think things get really, really exciting to track what they're doing differently. Um, and there's already some patterns that are starting to show themselves. But 
I think that's where the next five years looks like. I think a business with a celebrity partner or creator partner is going to be very active where they won't even feel digitally native to you. That's where I think we go five years from now. Do you th- I mean, I saw this as speculation, really. I think more of a kind of black mirror hypothesis than anything else more tangible. Yeah. But there was a discussion evolving around deep fakes, evolving out of deep fakes, and something that may be more positive than deep fakes, where potentially in the future a celebrity could license a version of themselves digitally that brands could then use to promote their products i.e kim kardashian walks talks looks like kim kardashian indistinguishable from her physical self digitally and can be uh embedded with products uh and or other things uh, in still images and or video. So that is a huge opportunity, obviously. There's, there's, there's lots of question marks around how you control something like that. But do you think that there is anything that could come along in the, have you seen anything like that? Any discussions like that that could discussions be actually like that? Discussions like that for sure. Um, the first place my mind jumps to is the, the dominant the dominant perspective on this conversation is how quickly can you dilute a celebrity's brand if they don't have to do anything, but they can make money off of lending their name, image, and likeness? How quickly can you destroy the entire market for celebrity endorsements? Mm-hmm. Well, as you take a step back and you're like, well, wait a minute, these, these talent management agencies are actually much smarter than that. They wouldn't just let you lend. They wouldn't lend Kim Kardashian's brand to anybody with a dollar and a dream. I think that you would have a very similar type of model where maybe the teams around the celebrities don't have to do as much of the heavy lifting and you get the celebrity a little bit more involved in the business. And by that, I mean, you know, hey, we'd like to use your, you know, your, your face in a campaign. Can we do it? That's easier than, hey, I need you to show up to this place on this date and, you know, we're going to be doing this. And so I think a lot of, I think there's probably a lot more of the upside if we can figure out how to control the dilution effect of, you know, a celebrity's name, image, and likeness. You think about so much of the value of why, you know, working with a celebrity and endorsement capacity is so powerful is because very few people do. Um, it's a differentiator. If everyone could do it, like, nobody can do it well then. And so I think that's where things get really, really interesting. Um, and so I think there will be parameters put around that, but I do think naturally that could be, could be an interesting uh, exploration of how the space sort of evolves itself. Um, but being able to control that is going to be really, really hard. So we're not, we're not anywhere near it, not from what you, you've got exposure to. It's not uh, happening to the, me. the gatekeepers are at the gate and they will not let anybody in. Mm. Mm, interesting. Okay. So I just wanted to go through, so the website itself, just talk to me about what you're building here. Celebrity packaged goods as, as your own uh, entity. What is the purpose of it? I know you touched on it, but you've got a few things going on there. So what, what kind of the outputs of, of what you're building? Yep. So brands are brands that are started by um, a talent. Uh, endorsements are brand already existed. Talent came in to express support, give it a halo effect. Funds are a recent one, which is relatively newer, but uh, funds that are started by celebrities, venture funds, private equity funds, uh, Aaron mm. Rodgers, uh, Aaron Rodgers fund. Like what is, like we talk about the role of um, a talent's involvement into brands. What does Aaron Rodgers role in uh, RX3 do for the fund? That's, that's where things get really, really exciting. So uh, funds and then we also have blog. Uh, which is where we do a lot. We store a lot of our interviews uh, with, uh, you know, just notable people in the space that have experiences that we can all learn from. Um, but altogether, it's supposed to be a map 
um, of everything that's going on in this space. Um, everything from you know who's endorsing what, who's also invested in what, um, who has launched what. Um, trying to get a good perspective on the different types of things that attract uh, different types of talent. Um, trying to better understand or build a kind of a you know, a glue for if I'm if I'm launching a collagen brand who is also has formally endorsed a collagen brand, who is a great supplemental, how does that work out for them? And who would be a great supplemental potential partner for me? Just brainstorming some ideas. Um, and so it's a resource for brands, it's a resource for investors. Um, and then our newsletter is mostly, uh, you know, similar, similar audience, but we also add talent management agencies into that mix as well. It's unlikely during this conversation that something on your store will break. Someone will delete something, but it can happen. So please install Rewind and you can listen to the rest of this episode without having to worry. So I'm looking at the, I'm on, go and check out the website. You won't regret it. It's great. And I'm on the brands section and I'm just scrolling through the top, you know, couple of letters. It's all in alphabetical order. And something that strikes me almost immediately is the amount of alcohol and non-alcohol and beauty based brands is overwhelming in terms of the percentage that I can see of brands. It, it seems to be either a beauty brand or an alcohol, non-alcohol brand. <laughs> do, they, do celebrities do anything else? Like why is it so skewed to those industries? So there's a reason for that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this with, this is more speculation on my part than I would enjoy, but I've put together enough data points where I feel confident in the speculation, but it's nobody will ever confirm this for me, but I'll share with you anyways. So a lot of those spirit brands are not actually, strictly speaking, celebrity brands. Um, so you have a lot of these big manufacturers of alcohol that own large, you know, these large distilleries, breweries, whatever. Uh, they have the same means to produce different types, slightly different types of vodkas, spirits, so on and so forth. So what they'll do is it's the same, it's the same liquid, maybe slightly altered. I just need to brand it in different ways. I need to talk to different audiences. And so I might have a portfolio of brands in which targets men in the middle Midwest, uh, men down South. I want to go build a portfolio out, same product, uh, to women in the West Coast. The best way for you to do that um, without having to spend too much in marketing is you're going to go grab a celebrity. You're going to give them royalties for every sale. And we just need to be able to return some, some amount of capital back into our initial investment. But it helps us build out our portfolios. So would I classify that as celebrity brands? I mean, we did on the website, but that's not, I have a strong feeling that's not actually how some of these businesses are operated um, because I've never seen a celebrity actually do anything for the business. I've only seen them get announced as operators of the business and maybe in a, a post or two, but they don't feel or operate like a really like an equity, a blood, sweat and equity, you know, tier, tier deal, um, which is hilarious. And then for beauty, for beauty brands, I think, you know, for Five years ago, if you came to me with an idea for uh, a beauty business with a celebrity on it, I, I don't even want to do any diligence. I'll give you money. Like, <laughs> sign me up. Um, and I think these celebrities have lent themselves so nicely to, uh, into beauty for such a long period of time. But I think, and, and there's people that are definitely more qualified to, to to give this perspective. But as you think about what the 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 shopping, the behaviors that have influenced beauty shopping um, as they've kind of like evolved, it seems like celebrities get knocked down a notch every single year. Or there's something really something else more important. Cruelty-free, sustainability, uh, clean beauty. There always seems to be another variable that gets added on top, and celebrities keep moving down and up. So it'll be interesting how this directory for the beauty side evolves. But I mean, five years ago, celebrity beauty brand, I'm in. It, it seemed like a no-brainer mm -hmm. concept. Yeah, yeah, makes makes sense. And I guess these 
for the brands that have, and there's some huge names. We're talking, you know, these are the big celebrities that you're indexing here primarily, aren't they? I mean, Kendall Jenner, Halsey, um, Cameron Diaz. I just, I didn't, do you, does every mid to major celebrity have a brand deal, would you say at this point? I mean, there's definitely a handful of people that still do their endorsements. I don't know if like Natalie Portman has a brand. She might, um, but I know she's really busy with endorsement deals. Um, it all just depends on what that celebrity's audience wants from them, um, what the team is seeing in terms of their research that's really exciting them about markets. Um, I mean, it's, at this point, it's getting harder to find who doesn't have a, a brand than it is to find who does, um, which is really, which is sort of a hilarious turn of events. But um, yeah, I would say a lot of a lot of them do. Um, a lot of them, you know, kind of view this as I uh, have a you know name, image, and likeness. I'm going to set up a really kick-ass operator to run the business, and then we're going to go, um, we're going to make it work. Just looking here at <laughs> Brady, Brady underwear, and and, and yeah, lovely website. What? How does this play out with things like? So someone like Tom Brady will have, or I, I'm speculating, but probably has endorsement deals from. I think it was Under Armour. I saw on your website. Yep. I imagine that's a professional deal, and to do with his sporting career, right? But like what happens where a celebrity has like a major endorsement in another category? Maybe it's a film and that in the film, that film sponsored by Heineken and they're the lead role. And then they want to bring out like competitive non-alcoholic beer brand or like what happens in those situations? Is it just, do they get a free pass because they're a celebrity and it's just like, oh, okay, well you do this over here, but you can do this over here and no one's really going to care. Um, like if, if there are, competitors i guess or if a celebrity wants to partner with a competitor brand but maybe in in another facet of their life that other competitor is supporting them how does that play out or is it just celebrity status gets kind of like a free go there's typically a clause in there that says a certain amount of time period you cannot be caught with a competing brand um and it's actually funny so like you can put all these clauses in there as much as you want but you always have the instance where Hey, uh, you know, XYZ NBA player endorsed us and he got caught getting, you know, we're a hydration beverage and they got caught drinking a Gatorade at the gym. And it's like, uh oh, now we got to go play firefight, you know, firefighting, you got to go play, uh, you know, damage control. Um, with a name like, you know, Tom Brady with the Under Armour deal, there's probably some, something that allows him to sort of, you know, act with the, the Brady brand. Um, I think that's a venture back. It might be, um, it might not be. I'm not entirely sure, but, um, Either that's you know not as competitive as we initially thought, or you know the, the first suite of products were not competitive, and then uh, you know the, the deal made maybe sort of uh, got terminated or just ended, and then he was able to launch kind of another suite of you know products that maybe maybe are competitive. Um, I'm not truly tr- truly sure about this brand particularly, but there's always clauses that protect the businesses um, always in, always in place. Municipal as well. I'm just seeing that one. That's another one that's just all over Mark Wahlberg's uh, new brand company size of 20 i mean there's such good information that you're collecting here it's so helpful i could spend days just browsing through it what what are some of the brands that you think are just fantastic fits for the product and the celebrity what do you think if you were to pick like two or three just absolutely nailed it product celebrity market fit everything what are some of your personal favorites yeah people this is this is you're setting me up to say the the one word that i hate and that's what everyone else will jump on, which is authenticity. Um, I'm not going to use that word, but there's a there's a framework that I sort of nailed down, which is uh, story continuity. And the idea is you ask a question that's 
how long has your celebrity been some sort of figure, authority figure, in the space that they are launching a brand within? Some easy ideas that come to mind um, is Haley Bieber and Road Skin. Haley Bieber was a skin influencer for the longest period of time. People, so much of her following was made up not by her as a model, but what she put on her skin. And for her to launch a brand that was, why am I representing some other brand to, who's paying me money when there's so much more upside and my audience taking my word, you know, taking my word for uh, the, the products I recommend, why not just launch something that is, feels more authentically my brand? Oh, I use the word. <laughs> uh, feels more naturally to, to me, uh, feels more like my brand. And so that is sort of, I think, a great example of that. And there's some other ones that I hit on that. I'll, I'll try to give some other examples that maybe I haven't touched on. Um, oh, okay. Here's, I'll give you, I'll give you one more and then I'll give you one that I think is really, really interesting. Um, Feastables is also another great example of that. Um, mm-hmm. Feastables that you think about the energy of the brand right now, um, the, the liveliness, the, the gamification, everything associated with the business feels like Mr. Beast. And honestly, that's thanks to, uh, uh Jess, uh, Jess Servalon who runs their uh, CX program. If you go to, uh, I'm pretty sure if you do this, go to, go to feastables.com. I'm pretty yep. sure their chatbot will tell you jokes if you ask it to. Yeah, it will. It will. Yeah. Which is incredible. Uh, what they had realized at some point was kids were going onto the website and they were trying to figure out, uh, they were, they were talking to the chatbot like it was Mr. Beast. And at some point, Jess was like, well, why don't we just make it like Mr. Beast? And so she programmed a chatbot that tells jokes and talks to interacts with you as if it's Mr. Beast, which is just genius. That, that That's to me fully understanding who the audience is that's coming into the website, what they're there for, how to get them to relate to the brand. So they're not just tied to Mr. Beast, but they have some affiliation with Feastables because it feels like Mr. Beast. Um, and I'll give you one more example that I think is probably the most interesting one that I've ever studied. Um, a lot of people in 2019, uh, when Skims first launched, Kim Kardashian's brand, that was not an obvious idea in the slightest bit. Kim Kardashian was, she'd, she'd been wearing shapewear for a long, long period of time. But what made that business setting so so powerful, and before I even share that, think about who else was a shapewear player in that market at that time. Spanx. Spanx dominated mm. the entirety Huge. of that market. They were massive. Nobody wanted to go compete against them. The market wasn't big enough. They were they were a clear standout front runner. It didn't make any sense to want to go compete. Aside from product quality, what Skim what Skims has done in terms of helping, you know, if you think about any of next time you look at any of their out-of-home campaigns, um, advertisements, look at the positioning that they have. The the brand is predicated on full inclusivity. It's always Kim Kardashian dead center in the middle, sort of this this uh, you know this ideal image of what someone should could look like uh, in American culture, always with people that don't necessarily look like her, don't necessarily feel like her, and so that type of messaging or branding put around a shapewear business where the product's already so phenomenal. Kim Kardashian's activeness in the business and you know um, the the amount of work that goes towards helping think through and kind of like helping lever that business up to the next notch. That all put together was the perfect storm to help kind of compete in this bigger market. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the shapewear market might have been growing at some clip of like two to three percent back when 2019. Now we're looking at a seven billion dollar market uh, growing at like a seven to eight percent clip. I mean, what they've done in terms of expanding the total market, absolutely perfect idea, ex- perfect execution when you have one of the biggest names sort of you know launching your business. And so those are all sort of examples for the same reason, but sort of different reasons. I'm like examples of brands that do really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
it's got to be one of two things. It has to be an obvious product that's so deeply aligned with the person's characteristics and what they've always done, like Seth Rogen and the Ashtray, for example, or it has to be something somewhat innovative um, that the celebrity wants to get behind. To me, either of those two feel like winners and anything in the middle feels like a more difficult battle, uh, unless, like you said, with the alcohol uh, or non-alcohol brands, where it's just like, this is more of a marketing stunt than it is like a long-term celebrity partnership to unlock a, to unlock a new market. What else, is there anything else before we wrap up that you can share about this space that I might not be able to ask you a question about because I'm not so deeply embedded that you think is interesting um, that we haven't already covered? And the people that listen to this show are generally brand owners and operators, some of which have got active um, celebrity partners big and small and some which don't um i think one thing i would like to know is that can you as an established brand bring in a celebrity or does it always have to be at the very beginning when you launch something that's something i'm just interested in but if there's anything else that i haven't asked that people typically ask that you think provides good value then please drop it here otherwise we'll wrap it up i, I think you've done a phenomenal job of asking questions by the way um and i think that's actually a great wrap-up question um I would say if I were to pick, if I had to build a dream scenario partnership between a celebrity and brand, I would bring a celebrity in at the later stage. There's examples of this too. Um, think about Goodles and them bringing in Gal Gadot. Um, if you think about Goodles, Better For You, Mac and Cheese, the brand had so much traction leading up to their partnership with Gal, and now she was able to activate it in a whole different capacity. So it's not that, you know, and you think about the nature of, of, you know, the transaction that takes place between a celebrity and having to now manage a person that's helping kind of represent the brand. There's so much chaos that comes with that that people don't really appreciate. Having to manage that in a later stage where your business is already proven out, the products have some element of product market fit, audiences naturally kind of recognize what the product is, is so much more helpful for you to sort of align, you know, what my, my, what my brand is as a standalone brand and what the celebrity can actually come in and contribute. A lot of the businesses that are launched as celebrity first do end up struggling to figure out what part of the business is standalone as a brand, as part of its brand identity, and what part of the business is part of the celebrity's brand. Um, and what, what if something were to go wrong with celebrity, where they got canceled or whatever, whatever it was, there's so much mm -hmm. more consideration to make sort of the early stages. In the later stages, the picture becomes so much more clear. Um, in later stages, meaning series B onwards, um, anything in that sort of ballpark. I think it makes so much more sense. You're well capitalized as a business. You understand who your customer is. You understand the different levers and sliders that are now at play. Um, and I would say, I would say waiting in the later stages. Absolutely. Do you, you mentioned the, the series B and funding and stuff. Do you think it is a lever for unlocking funds? Do you think it adds a multiplier by being able to say we have a celebrity? That is such an interesting question. If you asked me this one year ago, without a doubt, I would have said, yes, it was going to get you that meeting. Um, from there, obviously, you have to prove that the business is legitimate. Mm. Today, I don't know that I could say that confidently. Um, a lot of the investors that I'm speaking with are really starting to get skeptical around valuations. You know, if you think about the nature of what a celebrity supposedly promises, even though it's not always true, which is lower customer acquisition costs, more awareness, we're going to be able to fly, get things flying off shelves, and our e-commerce business is going to be booming. That's not how the story actually played out. And now a lot of investors are concerned, legitimately concerned. Why, why am I paying a ridiculous multiple to get into, uh, get into a round with a celebrity attached? When first of all, there's no, there's no such thing as an exit multiple. Nobody's going to pay you a premium because you have a celebrity to exit the business. Why would you have to pay a premium to enter? That's number one. Number two, which I kind of hinted on, which is 
the data doesn't actually prove over the last couple of years that a celebrity is actually moving the needle necessarily for a business as much as we thought it would. And so you had a lot of people getting into really expensive valuation rounds, and they're they're really tough. Now, will a celebrity, if you have a celebrity versus don't, are you going to be able to get the meeting? Sure. But don't let that fool you for investors are going to give us money. They are probably, in the experience I've had talking to partners at some of the biggest consumer venture funds, more harsh on celebrity brands than they are regular brands. And they have to be. Because they come in with higher expectations. Um, they're, they're, the expectations are treated differently. They should be they should be applied a little bit more diligence to. Um, and that seems like a very fair trade-off. Um, but do not go into a celebrity deal thinking, now everyone's going to give me money to, to go my business. That's not how that will work. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like a free pass. Like, hey, we got this celebrity, so give us money. Let us have everything we want. But yeah, I can see where that might backfire, especially when you start to look at the PL and look at how much it costs to have that celebrity. Um, oh, absolutely. But yeah, I'd love to do, I would love to get my hands on um, a PL statement with the details of like how much it costs to pay all the celebrity endorsed deals versus the contribution margin of what they drove for the brand and just like break that down. I think that'd be super interesting. And then look at one that's using like mid to micro influencers versus like one or two key massive celebrities and just be like, what's the, maybe you can start hacking and getting some uh, financial documents on the, on the website. Yeah. I was I'm fortunate enough to have uh, visibility and a few of them. They vary so much by category, who's operating the business, uh, where they're distributing products to, uh, the one, I'll say this last thing, and um, this is not a popular view, but this is like sort of like my contrarian perspective. I struggle a lot with, besides a handful of them, there's a handful that I would agree with, but I really struggle with creator-led businesses, um, pure play YouTube, YouTuber, you know, massive YouTuber business. Um, Mr. Beast does not fall in this category at all. He's he's a specimen of itself. Um, but here's my struggle with that. You said, I'd love to take a look at the PNL and understand the me- like mechanism to actually driving the business. A lot of these businesses that are content creator first businesses, oftentimes you're just looking at a PNL of the actual brand itself, but you're leaving out the part of marketing spend. That's all the content creation that's actually taking place and all the expenses of high quality content and having to do it over and over again. And that's often left on a different PNL because that's a separate entity. If they were rolled up into one, that's what I would really like to study of these content creator businesses. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, like it's like. I'm not actually sure about how Feastables does this, so I won't I won't comment on it. But you're often looking at you know one side of the business, which is the brand side, that the sales side of you know generating chocolate bars. Um, but you kind of forget about all the production that went into the content creator who's getting influence to drive influence to the brand, um, which is something that I really struggle with. But um, again, that's not commentary of Mr. Beast by any means. Uh, I do not know the Feastables team, and I don't I I, I can't share any comments here. But um, that's more of a general statement across other creator businesses that I've seen. Thank you so much, Drew. It's been a pleasure and as exciting and interesting as I thought it would be. I have bookmarked the website. I'm sure a lot of other people will, having heard this conversation. Um, so just how can we keep up to date with you? Obviously, give a shout out to the site itself, uh, the newsletter, and where can we find you personally on, online? Uh, Twitter is great. Um, I think my handle is underscore Drew underscore one. Um, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, would love to help if any of your any of the brands listening are Looking for the first uh, talent, de- you know, talent deal endorsement co-founder, whatever you could name it, um, and just want somebody to bounce ideas off of. Happy to get you connected to the right people. Um, but it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
All right, that's the end of another episode. Drew from Celebrity Packaged Goods. Thank you very much for supporting the show, Rewind and Sendlane. Please do go and check them out if you haven't done already. And if you want any more information from Drew, he is an open book. So do reach out to him on Twitter and or anywhere else. Do sign up to Celebrity Packaged Goods newsletter and check them out online. The director, I spent at least an hour just scrolling through. I didn't realise how many brands were backed by celebrities or at least had celebrity involvement, how many of them win and how many of them lose. So do check out that resource. It's a a good one. All right, that's it for this week. And we'll see you next week on Ecom Gold.